0: You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you. It will challenge you and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. So here we are for the Dietitian's into business series. Do you have a burning desire to start your own business in the field of nutrition and dietetics? This series features some of the most brilliant business and entrepreneurial dietitians. We discuss their journey to success and provide you with the tools to turn your business ideas into reality. Hello to all of our listeners. Thanks so much for joining us for another great episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host Kate Agnew and I'm a student dietitian at the University of Queensland. Joining us today is Charlotte Miller who is a dietitian and qualified chef of 16 years. After working on private yachts and in homes, restaurants and hotels around the world, Charlotte returned to Melbourne in 2014 to establish her business Food & Joy. Charlotte currently works as the dietitian, nutritionist and chef for Food & Joy. So today Charlotte is on the show to discuss her career journey leading up to the establishment of Food & Joy and then as well as what Food & Joy offers and her approach to dietetics and cooking. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, Charlotte.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's really exciting to have you here because Food & Joy is such a unique idea and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your business and also your career journey. So I thought maybe we could start off by getting a little bit of an idea of your background and also could you take us through your experiences and the various jobs you had whilst working abroad?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I I started out as a chef before I got into dietetics and I didn't really ever get into chefing with the thought that it was going to be forever. It was more something that I was really interested in at the time and I'd come out of another uni degree that I had lost interest in and was looking for something to do and I didn't really know what it was going to be. But I loved cooking and doing an apprenticeship seemed to be a really good plan while I kind of figured things out. Um, So I I got started on my apprenticeship and, and realized pretty quickly that um, I probably wasn't going to end up working in kitchens forever. Um, I really enjoyed some elements of it, but I, I found it the environment's very stressful, and, and I knew that physically it wasn't going to be something that anyone could do forever. And I guess I was watching chefs burn out around me really quickly and um, there weren't many who were older than 30 still working in kitchens and still having the physical capability to do the job that was required. So I knew that I was going to have to find something else um, and but it took me a little while to, to work out what that was. But during the apprenticeship, um, we had to do a Certificate 3 in cookery, which was part of the, the normal training and as part of that, we had to do um, a nutrition and food science component which is uh, fairly basic and and quite short, but um, I loved it. I just thought it was amazing and I just found it completely fascinating. Well, no one else in my class was very interested, but um, I just decided right then that that's exactly what I wanted to do and um, so I started pursuing avenues of getting into um, dietetics at Deakin for when I finished my apprenticeship. So um, I I did finish my apprenticeship because I knew that it would be a – a good tool and a good skill to have. Um, at the time, I questioned my sanity a little bit about whether that was a good thing to be doing, but um, it certainly has paid off and um, having a trade is never going to let you down, I don't think. so. Um, but got into the dietetics and went through Deakin Uni there um, with the intention, I guess, of going into probably research. Um, and I was never really particularly interested in the clinical side of dietetics. Um, but once I finished Uni, I decided to move overseas for a short time but that turned into about eight years in the end and I ended up first of all in Amsterdam um, just working as a chef over there so I guess the chef thing paid off pretty quickly but um, I ended up about six months later working on private yachts um, mostly in the Mediterranean but uh, we were all around the world so I spent quite a bit of time in America and the Caribbean as well as places like the Maldives and the Seychelles, Egypt um, and all over Europe. And I ended up working um, for most of that time for a Russian family um, who liked to eat a lot of food. So it was a, it was a pretty intense job um, for a lot of reasons, um, but it was also pretty amazing. And the the travel was amazing, and the food experience that I got in that job is something that you just can't get in restaurants. You have access to ingredients um, that that. People can't pay for in, in under normal circumstances, um, and and access to quantities of food that you don't see um, in other places. And because we're in different countries all the time, you're shopping at markets in in various places in different languages, trying to find the best possible food you can. Um, and that was. Really hard at first, and, but quite exciting, and um, something that you do get used to, and you learn to adapt pretty quickly to that, that environment. So, so, so 2014, I came back to Australia to set up business here.
0: Excellent. So I guess that was the beginning of Food and Joy.
1: Yeah, I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out it was.
0: <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about that then. What steps did you take to start Food and Joy when you returned in 2014? It
1: took me a long time to work out what it was that I wanted to do. And the whole time I was working on yachts, again, I knew that it wasn't something that I could do forever. It's not a it's not a career that you can be still in when you're, you know, really old or um, – and it, it – prevents you from doing a lot of things in your life that are good, like seeing your family and your friends and, and attending events that you want to go to. So it wasn't something that I could do forever. Um, so I really needed to figure out something that I was going to do back in Melbourne. And, 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 looking back I can't believe that it took me so long to work it out but it it did for some reason I think that's not unusual but um, I knew I had skills that were different to other dietitians and to other chefs and I was always looking for that way to try and bridge the gap between the two of them Um, and so cooking obviously had to form a part of it but I really love teaching as well and so once I kind of figured out that I wanted to teach cooking predominantly, um, things kind of went on from there. So I started to set up the business while I was still employed over in Europe, which meant that I at least had some salary coming in while I was starting to get things happening. Um, and I guess the first steps were around writing up a business plan, um, defining what it was that I wanted to um, to do for people, what kind of service I wanted to provide, but um, also what kind of personal goals I had within that. So what did, what did I want to achieve out of doing all of this and, um, and what did I think I could offer people that was different to everybody else. So, so I did a lot of research into what other people were doing in Melbourne particularly um, but also around Australia and internationally and had a look at what they were charging and what services they were offering and just tried to find, I guess, my place in all of that, uh, which takes some time. But I got there in the end. Um, So I guess that's kind of the main part of the planning. And then I guess after that you've got things like setting up a website, getting business cards, finding a space to work from. Um, And that's all quite tricky, but um, eventually you just have to jump in and do it. And so I eventually quit my job overseas and came back and um, just got started and it was really hard <laughs> So, because you don't really know what you're doing and um, I didn't really have any contacts here either so it took me a little while to kind of find my feet and, and really um, sort of find what it was that I was actually going to be doing here so um, I think The key in all that, though, is eventually you just need to start and you can't think about it forever. So um, otherwise you keep planning and planning and planning and never do anything. So um, that's a really important part, I guess, of getting the business going.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like it's grown a fair bit since then. So could you tell us a bit about the products and services that Food and Joy offers?
1: Yeah, so originally I just started with Food and Joy, which is – predominantly cooking lessons for individuals, private groups, social groups, um, and something I hadn't expected to do was to be teaching dietitians how to cook, um, and that's actually something that's been a really regular part of my work since I got back here. Um, so I still do a lot of that, and I do some consulting to small businesses around menu planning, recipe development, food costing, um, some nutrition components of that, um, and... I guess also some small business advice for people who are just getting into the industry. Uh, then last year, I took a really big step with the business at the start of 2015, and I um, took over an existing business in Carlton in Melbourne, which was selling meals and um, and turn it into a shop front to sell healthy takeaway meals. So um, that was a pretty huge year for me. It was very busy um, and, and very tiring. So I was trying to teach as well and run that on the side. So it was pretty hectic from my end um, and I've now reassessed how that's going to work for the future. But, um, yeah, so I'm still selling healthy takeaway meals but now it's going online and hopefully with deliveries happening this year. Um,
0: so that's kitchen and pantry that provides the meals that's correct what a fantastic idea
1: yeah it means we can provide food for people with um various intolerances um and as well as just you know meat meals vegetarian meals vegan meals food for everybody but with no no diet concept around it so i i I come from the non-diet approach and um and uh just believe in people finding food that's really good for them everything's got lots of vegetables in it and um, we sell meals that have um, components of um, food for intolerances but we don't promote any of them as being particularly healthier than the other ones so um, so it's
0: about what fits the client then exactly Great. So could you tell us about the philosophy behind Food & Joy and its overall aims and also how you marry the two elements of being a great chef and also a dietitian at the same time?
1: So I guess my main goal with the business is to really try and find practical and useful ways for people to make changes uh, rather than just talking about ideas, actually giving them skills that means they can make the changes themselves. Um, So this skill is going to be different for everybody. So for some people, it might be really basic cooking lessons. Uh, I get a lot of people who don't feel like they can make anything. And so for them, it might just be about learning how to cook some rice, learning how to cook some fish, learning how to make some vegetables um, and trying to help to reduce their anxiety around cooking that they currently feel for other people it might be more about um, giving them some new ideas so maybe they've just become a vegetarian or um, changed their diet for some reason someone in the family and they're just a bit stuck for ideas or they're bored or they don't really know what to do anymore so um, it might be just about kind of expanding their repertoire Um, for other people it might be about just finding ways to reduce the anxiety they feel about shopping food or their kitchen, having their kitchen ready to cook in, um, or providing food for their kids or their family. Um, I guess the the common emotion that I hear from people when I speak to them is anxiety around food, and um, that that's been a little bit surprising to me. I didn't I didn't realise it was so. Um, it was sort of so predominant in what people was, were saying and they're not using that word themselves but it's something that comes through a lot with people and they're, they're hearing messages and information from everywhere and they just don't know what to do anymore and um, I find that it's quite satisfying from my end to be able to actually try and put some strategies into place with some physical skills that they can they can use so I really try and keep a good focus on that food for me is not it's not just about eating a meal or, or cooking a quick meal. There's a whole lot of other stuff that goes with it around socialising, around cooking with your family, about cooking with your partner or your kids, um, about going to restaurants and enjoying that experience and talking with friends about the experience that you had doing that. And that's all part of food and eating. And so I really try to make sure that that's part of the conversation that I have with people as well, that it's not just about um, a nutrient or a diet or, um, you know, how they look or, um, buying particular foods at that time. It's, it's sort of an overall big picture and that's a really important part of, um, trying to develop people's skills and their, and try to calm them down a little bit about food, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, um, really interesting, Charlotte. And that leads me to my next point, because I know that you use a little bit of Ashtanga yoga in your approach. And, I mean, you touched on reducing anxiety around meals. And you and I've read a little bit about your kind of mindfulness and acceptance approach. And so I really wanted you to tell us a little bit more about this approach that you take and, I guess, what it entails.
1: Yeah, um, I've been doing yoga for about... 16 or 17 years now and you know initially that was on and off just when I could afford it or when I could go Um, and then when I was in Florida uh, working there for a while I accidentally found an ashtanga yoga class um, and that really changed my practice a lot Um, and I guess to the outside observer an ashtanga practice is looks just looks very repetitive and perhaps competitive as well Um, but the reality is it's not really like that um, and it's something that it can really once you get to have a regular practice that's quite dedicated it can really start to show you how I guess entrenched your your patterns are and how much we resist change and how much we are unwilling to get into the process of change all the time and um, that's something that's really interesting to keep in mind when you're dealing with with clients um, and or students perhaps if you're teaching um, and Often when we do things, whether it's a yoga practice or another sport or something else that we choose to do, we're often not that bothered with the details. We, we tend to do these things because our friends do them or our parents told we should do them or we saw it in a magazine and the magazine told us we should do them or maybe we think we'll lose weight or, you know, whatever our thing is. And we get very focused on this end goal of saying, yes, I've achieved that or, yes, I can do that, and we lose sight of the the focus on the process of learning how to do that which is actually where the value is in the, in doing that in doing that um uh the practice or the sport or whatever it is you choose to do and and i guess that's something again that we can apply to many other aspects of our life including starting a business or having a job um or dealing with your family or you know anything um and i guess a real Um, Yoga practice requires a fairly high degree of self-awareness and reflection and an an intelligent approach to the the practice of learning something. Um, And so as a teacher, I guess it's really important to recognize those patterns in the people that you're teaching um, or that you're working with as a dietitian or a counselor um, and to understand their motivations and why they might have come to see you or why they might be asking certain questions and to know when to push them or pull them a little bit further. And I think as a teacher it can be really tempting to focus on the things that you like, not what they like, um, and it can be really tempting to only want to teach the things that you feel confident at yourself and perhaps ignoring other things that are important because perhaps you don't feel like it's within your realm or, um, or you don't want anyone to see you talking about that or whatever it is. And so you can really um, – you can really lose some value in what it is you're teaching if you're going to do that. Um, And it's also really tempting as a teacher to push students into limits that they're not capable of and, you know, whether this is teaching, cooking or other things or dealing with a difficult client or um, if you're going to push people into areas that they're not really ready for, then your message is going to be lost and they're going to go somewhere else. And I think this is something that um, dietitians probably could reflect on a little bit more. Um, We... We are losing people to other forms of information and it's been happening a lot in the last couple of years and there's been a lot of talk about it amongst dietitians that, you know, why why are people not listening to us, why are people going to other sources? Um, and the reality is in many cases it's us and we're not, we're not framing our message very well. We're not listening to what people want or need and we're not providing information to them that's within their limits or within what, it is that they want to know and so I think that's something that maybe as dietitians we could think about a little bit more yeah and all, we should all go to yoga
0: <laughs> yeah I'm a Bikram yogi so um yep. and that's the 40 degree heat so yes. <laughs> I understand what you're talking about there and I definitely have found that to, it to be very helpful both physically and mentally so Thank you for sharing that. So what are the most important things that you have learned from running such a successful business, um, I guess, apart from the points that you mentioned earlier?
1: I don't know if I'm using the word successful yet in terms of my business. So it's it's still growing. Um, it's still fairly new. I mean, it's really, it's coming up to two years. The, the shop fund's only coming up to a year at this stage um, and Uh, the the main thing I've learned is that it's really hard to run a business and, and, you know, things that look easy on the outside are not always that easy when they're happening. And and I know that I do this myself. I look at other businesses and other people who are running businesses and I think, wow, like it looks looks simple. Uh, It looks effortless. They must be so great. They must be doing so well. They must be making lots of money. And the reality is on the other side of it, it's not always like that. You know, social media doesn't always reflect <laughs> the true nature of what's going on, um, as as we all know, um, in various circumstances, but especially in businesses as well, there's a real front projected there. Um, and on the other side of that, there's a lot of work. So, I mean, this last year I've been working seven days a week, you know, every week. Uh, I think I had two days off last year and um, and it's just on your mind all the time. So you need to be ready for that if you want to run your own business, which I highly recommend people do, but um, don't do it because you think it's easier than getting another job because it's not. <laughs> so, um, I guess some of the other things that have been kind of interesting um, have been that you need to continually adapt and evolve the business. And the the idea that I initially came up with is not where I'm at right now at all, really. And um, and you know you need to listen to your customers and your clients and and hear what they're saying. Um, and adapt the business around what's working. If things aren't working, if they're not making you any money and they're costing you a lot of time, then they need to go. Um, And and the things that are working might not be the things you originally thought you would be doing, but maybe that's what's going to happen and maybe that's what's going to work. But on that note, don't take advice from people who don't work in your industry and have never run a small business with their own money. So I found that... um, there's been a lot of people who are very willing to give advice um, and they haven't necessarily had any experience in running a business um, and they don't really understand why you maybe haven't done something already or why you haven't paid for something and the reality is sometimes things are very expensive like marketing and PR and um, and um, sometimes you just don't have the time to do everything so um, it can be... You can be feeling very vulnerable when you're running a business because there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of um, unknowns and there's a lot of fear of failing um, that goes with it. I think that's pretty standard for everybody. Um, and so you can become quite vulnerable to the information you're receiving from people. Um, so that's it's quite interesting, especially if you're tired. Um, so learning to shut some of that out is really important, I think. Um, and I guess knowing when to outsource the work, is really important as well. So, um, there might be things that you can you can actually manage to do, but finding the time for it might not be fitting into your schedule. And I guess an example for me this last year has been that um, something like the bookkeeping, where okay, I could actually I could actually do the work, but it would take me quite a long time, it would take a big chunk out of my week. It needs to be right because um, the tax department. Want to talk about it, and um, and so maybe that's something that's better off being done by someone else. So, and maybe you just need to cop the money for that, and find other ways to make that money in that time instead. So, I guess that, that's my main advice.
0: You've given us some really great advice there, Charlotte. Uh, particularly your point about adapting to change. So, could you tell us a little bit about your part ownership of Little Collins Brunch Cafe and Wine
1: Bar in Amsterdam? Yeah, that started about three or four years ago, I think. I can't remember exactly. It must be about four years ago. And um, I was living over in Europe at the time and my work at that particular time was based in Rotterdam. And um, I have a my friend that I originally moved over to Amsterdam with, um, still lives there and she's married and has children there now. And she's also a chef. And so we um, decided to go in on a place together together. And there was never the intention that I was moving back to Amsterdam or going to be living there again, but I was there while we were setting it up. And um, and so um, the three of us went in that together and we kind of really wanted to set up the sort of place that we had wanted to eat at when we were living there. And, you know, uh, Amsterdam's not really a food city in the way that perhaps Melbourne is or some other places around the world. Um, and, I remember riding around there looking for eggs one morning, and there's just nowhere to get breakfast. And um, and so we decided to sort of set up the place that we would have liked to have gone to um, had we had the chance. And so it's really aimed at expats, um, and that's exactly what's happened. It's Australians, Kiwis, Americans, and Brits who go there predominantly. And um, there's not not a lot of Dutch spoken in there, but um, it's been a really interesting journey, and really interesting to set up a business in another country. Yeah
0: wow if I'm ever in Amsterdam I'll go visit it.
1: Yes do it's delicious.
0: (laughs) Yeah so Charlotte I'm really excited to hear about the cooking classes that you'll be running for dietitians this year.
1: Yeah I'm hoping to get some really regular classes running for dietitians this year. I had A lot of people wanted to do more last year and I just wasn't able to fit it into my schedule um, and find the space to run it as much as I would have liked to. And so um, this year as I'm converting the shop into more of an online forum, it means I've got much more space and time in the shop to actually run those classes now. So I'm hoping to be able to set up groups of um, either smaller groups up to six or even groups of six to 12 where we can run um, cooking sessions that are just just for dietitians that will run, I guess, as a social event and a, um, a networking event um, as well as being a time to learn and do some professional development. Um, And the plan will be to run quite a few different themes. So there might be some really seasonal cooking going on there. Some of them might be quite focused on um, quick recipes that you could be giving to your patients and clients, Um, you know, just things off the top of your head you could just quickly give to them, including the recipes. Um, Or they might be around introducing new ingredients and how they could be used in different dishes. So just keep an eye on the website of Food & Joy um, on the events page and I'll be posting up classes as soon as I've set some dates for those excellent and
0: that's foodenjoy.com and then also kitchen and pantry.com.au and we'll also have those links available on our show notes um, available at dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts so everyone can go straight to the website. Sounds good. So on that note, we've talked a little bit about this, but I was wondering if you had some top tips for those who would like to sort of kickstart their business.
1: Um, I guess think about what it is that you can offer that's different from everybody else. Um, You know, really, really evaluate your skills. And they may not be obvious skills, but, you know, they might not be that... I can cook, or I can teach, or something. It might be there might be more subtle counselling skills or um, administrative skills that you've got that are that are different. So really evaluate what it is that you can offer, um, and I guess then have a think about why would someone want to buy that from you, or why would someone want to pay you for it. Um, so people sort of say it's really important to have a passion, and if you follow your passion, then you'll never work another day, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. But The reality is you need to convince people to give you money for what you do at some point. So someone else needs to be passionate about it as well. And um, and so I guess, yeah, be passionate about it because that is important, but, yeah, also evaluate what's going to be sensible and and work in a business capacity. Um, And plan and write business plans, but at some point you just need to start doing it. So just do it. Um, I think that's really important because we can spend the next 20 years planning a business that we never start, so um, stop stop writing about it and um, and get started and I guess um, what I've noticed when I 've been doing some consulting this year to some small businesses is that um, it can be really easy to get caught up in the fun stuff of starting a business, you know the social media, going to networking meetings um, and doing those bits, but actually those bits don't really make you any money. Um, in the short term, you need to actually just get your product or your service up and running and get it out there. Um, and they're the hard bits, and the hard bits are looking at finances and talking to the local council and getting your permits, and they all suck. And so <laughs> you just you just need to actually, like, do them and make them happen. Um, and so I've seen quite a few businesses who get to a point and then they just they just don't make it any further, so um, because it gets too hard. So you just need to jump in and, and do the bits that you don't like first and get get them done, and, and then you can start enjoying it later. Yep,
0: really good points. Um, so Charlotte, thanks so much for being with us today and sharing your energy. And given us a really wonderful insight into food and joy. And you've definitely given us um, a lot of very realistic and inspirational advice. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for being with us today.
1: No worries. Thank you for having me.
0: Also, a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, could you please leave a review for us, as well as pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends? And also make sure that you are subscribed to the Dietitian Connection podcast so that you can automatically download the new episode each week and so that you don't miss out. Thanks again and we'll see you next time for another fantastic episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast.